What a difference a few weeks make in the world of football. It wasn't long ago since former professionals were on TV and radio shows the length and breadth of England laughing at Manchester United for not taking world-class Antonio Conte as their manager. But in the last couple of weeks, Spurs fans are left wondering, have they got the Italian Sam Allardyce? Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Rangers were confirmed as the worst team in Champions League history. Tottenham seemed confused by what tactic suits them best and a little bit stubborn at the same time. And we ask, has Diego Simone lost his powers at Atletico Madrid? Dave, Spurs edged out Marseille at the top of the Champions League Group D, but they did it the hard way again. Yeah, nice bit of drama and uh, yeah, the the merry-go-round of Spurs. I think we briefly mentioned, I can't even remember what it was on air or off air about they're all singing his praises a couple of weeks ago and then now all of a sudden what, how he plays is far too negative. But uh, it was the only bit of drama really last night, which was good to see because everything else is fairly bog standard. Um, most groups are fairly sorted and even tonight there's not too much drama as well. So that's the only good thing. You know what you're going to get with Spurs uh, one of the lads put up in the WhatsApp group, he's, it, it, he consistently watches them over anyone else because you're always going to get a game, good, bad or indifferent from them at the moment. So when they're good, they're very, very good. But when they're bad, they're very bored. But obviously they let others in as well. So that's the only positive I would I would say about it. It just gave me a bit of drama and something to kind of keep an eye on last night, to be honest. Yeah, worth to watch. I watched the, the, the game and Neil, it's... Th- the same with them as in the league. It's a game of two halves. They start off, they they close everything off. They try to be really good defensive unit. And it turns out they're not that great at it. And then the second half, they have to come out and actually play football. And they're quite good at that. Yeah, they, they stick the plan. I'll give them that much for, the, for their sins. But they are really a frustrating, horrible team to watch. And I think... It's it's like every time you watch sports, be it under Mourinho, if you do remember, once you buy into this philosophy of the way they're going to play and you think they're going to be successful, that's acceptable. But as soon as that kind of, you know, you fall off the cliff, you start losing games and you realise we're not going to win anything playing like this, all of a sudden the fans are on the back, the kind of tune around the club changes. Um, if you notice in their home games this year at um, in their new stadium, that you know the, the noise and everything is brilliant. And then after 15, 20 minutes of sitting back against Brentford and sitting back against you know so-called lesser teams, all of a sudden enough is enough, and the crowd are up in arms. Spurs can see the goal and then just come out of their shell, blow a team away. You know the, the one where Son come off the bench and scored three out of nowhere, and all of a sudden all is forgiven again. So it's this kind of merry-go-round of is it good enough versus do we want entertainment and I guess as the season goes on we'll see where Conte ends up with them but in that case last night job done into the last 16 that's exactly where Spurs want to be would we be sitting here if they'd have lost that game and they were knocked out but played attractive football probably not Dave, is it Cristiano Heiberg, Lionel Heiberg, or Killian Heiberg? He, I, I'm not messing. He ha- has yeah, performed a great finish, but he performs really, really well yeah. for them, uh, consistent at least for them week in, week out. And he always seems to be a, a box-to-box midfielder who's a little bit of a threat. What could Spurs do if they actually opened up a little bit? 
Exactly. Yeah. Every every superlative you said about him there, us scousers are looking envious because we're desperate for a midfielder. But to be honest, from day one since he was signed, he's been a very much a Mister Dependable, and as you said, always probably the top one or two players out of the eleven who are he shows up every week without fail. And obviously, last night was an incredible finish. To be honest, I always seen him as a sitter and a breaking down of play. Although he definitely had a bit more yesterday breaking the line and, and, and the crack and finish. But yeah, to be honest, I'd be desperate for any midfielder at the minute. But he's an absolute smashing footballer. And it's just a very interesting thing. I think they might be okay because I don't know how long it's going to be. But just a little thing to add on to it because I just caught a glimpse of the headline. So I don't know exactly how long he's going to be out. But there's a serious threat that Son could be missing now for the World Cup. So it, it mightn't be a big thing for Spurs, but he could be out long enough that he's going to miss the World Cup. And whether we are back in January, I don't know. I literally just caught it there, so I don't, I don't know the details. And that's not great, is it? Because the um, likes, the exactly. likes of, I'd say the likes of Paul Pogba, we don't really care. Uh, Lukaku, <laughs> Son. No, there's a lot of players who are getting these little niggly injuries at the wrong time, and it'd be very disappointing for them. But as you said, for the clubs, Dave. Clubs be delighted that they're they're probably not going. Yeah, if it's not if it's long enough where he misses the first few games, great for them, and then he can have the recovery back for for January. But it's it's interesting, like to be honest, Roy, because there's so much important football they can't watch themselves. They have to give it everything, and they have to go out there with no fear. And unfortunately, they're still another week or two to go, and we could miss a couple of more stars for the for the big tournament. Just finish off on Spurs now. What do you think? Well, two questions in this, really. What do you think Spurs need to do to get the best out of their players? And, and the second question really is, is Conte going to do anything different than he's already doing? Or is that the way he is now? Oh, Conte won't change. I mean, I you know, it's like the immovable object. So I don't think tactical wise, I don't think he's going to turn even, around. Sorry, even though he's changing a half time, which is, is yeah. you know, he's kind he should, of yeah. contradicting himself. Yeah, he, he releases the shackles a little bit. Now, whether it's a mentality th- a mentality thing or a tactical thing, I don't know. I think, you know, when you go out and you aim for nil all and you go to hit a team on the break, as soon as you go a goal down, plan B has to initiate, has to initiate straight away. Like, there's no point sitting back when you're 1-0 down. I don't think Conte is going to change, and you're going to see that over the weekend when they, it's Liverpool on the weekend. So it's going to be the exact same thing. Now, Liverpool have having given up an early goal as well, so that could be a battle of who wants to give up the first bloody goal. But, you know, they're not going to change from what they're going to do. They're going to sit. They're going to put 11 men behind the ball. Harry Kane will be the furthest man forward, and then you'll have your runners. I guess maybe a little different now without Son in the lineup because he would normally do Liverpool a lot of damage. So he'll just have to find another... Uh, version of Son to do the the, the different, you know, Lucas Moura, whatever it will be, a bit of mayhem. But I don't think he's really going to change his personality and tactics too much. The only thing I would say is that as the season progresses, maybe if they fall off the pace or maybe if they begin to slip, you know, out of the top four, he might have to likewise, like in a halftime situation, release the shackles a little bit more and, and, and allow them to attack with the kind of quality that they have. Neil, is or has Conte improved Spurs? I, I think, I don't know about you guys, he, he's changing my view on their mentality a little bit. I don't know how much. I think he's kind of like, if I was to be maybe a little disingenuous to Jose Mourinho and say, I think he's he was kind of, you know, welting as a top, top quality manager. And I think Conte is a little bit more fresher, a little bit more 
you know, stubbornness about him. And I think he's getting a little bit more playing the Mourinho way. He's brought in players that I think he wanted and identified. But I don't know if he's going to get a whole lot more out of him the way he's playing, unless, again, he upgrades that value of player. So I think he's kind of what you see is what you get at the moment. Okay, right. We'll uh, we'll go on and talk about the worst team in Champions League history now in a second. Uh, but Diego Simone, Dave. Mm. The question is, has he lost his powers at Atletico Madrid? I watched them against Porto yesterday. They were really, really poor. And when I look at when I'm looking at Liverpool, I'm looking at them not really pressing as well as they used to, but they're still at a certain level. Atletico. There's no press in them at all, and they just look a shadow of their former selves. Is this a case that Conte needs to go, or that he needs to totally refresh his whole team? Yeah, I think they're in a bit of a, a refresh now at this stage. Um, like I'm look quickly looking at the team here, and there's two or three that I don't know too much about at all, unless they're coming in. And of course. You know that gem of a forward. I I I don't know the full. Can somebody else enlighten me? Because somebody said something in passing last week. Before I finish it off, is there something going on with Joao Felix? Like, is he fit, or is there an issue there, or something? He's somebody not perform- He's not performing, yeah. and he's not getting game time. And it's as yeah. simple as that. And I think he's having a little bit of a huff. Yeah, exactly. And he would have come in uh, with a lot of um, fanfare and a lot of money, and it hasn't really materialized. Hence, why they've. Uh, bought back Griezmann and you've seen the drama about that now they have him back they were willing to shell out the 20 odd million to get him so they can start playing him for 90 minutes instead of a half an hour but if you look at it there Savage is, he's been there a good long time now and then obviously Jimenez Jimenez in, in the centre back he'd be well into his 30s people like Axel Witzel like he doesn't really impress me at Belgium, let alone kind of man in the centre midfield there. Even Saul's come back from Chelsea and he's playing out left. I just it's 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 kind of a little bit similar to what I'm seeing uh, in our own. That you know the couple of guys that are still there have been there for a long time now, and it might be just that time to start re- refreshing. But obviously Simeone is uh, very like Conte. He's not going to change his tactic. So if he can't get in the right personnel to match what he does he's going to struggle so it's a bit it's a bit of a balancing act but he's a very expensive balancing act because he's arguably i think the most expensive manager there is so there definitely needs to be a bit of an overhaul but will they take the easy option with the manager and then try and get a bit of a an upstart a bit of a like general uplift like what you do when you replace it remains to be seen but i think they seem to have a lot of faith in the guy hence why he's on the massive wage so there could be a year or two of uh discontent there before they can maybe start turning around and have any chance of up, 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 up unsettling the other the big two. Yeah, I'm looking at the team here, Dave and Neil, yeah. and you've got Saul, as you said, Witzel, you've got Carrera, Griezmann, Felix. The, the, these are players that haven't set the world alight. Griezmann hasn't set the world alight for a few years now, and even when he was playing, I wasn't a great fan of him anyhow. But mm. there, there's nothing special about this team. And what what they used to have was quality but hard work. Now they don't have hard work and and they have less quality. So, Neil, what, what changes? It's a hard one to gauge, Ryan. It's funny, like, my young lad was asking me, you know, who would you like in the Champions League? As far, this was yesterday evening, as in, who would you like to see qualify? You know, you're always looking for Liverpool with a kind of a... Glamour tie, and one of the teams I remember kind of saying, Oh man, you know, I'm really sick of playing because Napoli is actually becoming one of them. We seem to be drawing Napoli all the time, but uh, Atletico was the other one. I can't stand them, I hate when you play them. They were like 
human crazy glue. You couldn't get them off you. You didn't know whether you were going to beat them. You know, arguably, I remember thinking Liverpool gave one of their best 90 minutes uh, at Anfield against Atletico, the one where it ended in a draw and we got knocked out an extra time. And it was just, you know, I thought Liverpool were exceptional, but yes, you still couldn't get yeah. them off you. And it was that trait and that characteristic we all put back onto Simeone and went he's the guy that brings it out he's like you know the dark arts you know he's all these deadly little sayings about him even though horrendous to watch the way his team goes on and carries on but they were very very successful in that disguise and they were very very you know take you know winning when you overhaul Barcelona Real Madrid you're doing something correct do you feel but that the, the board there at Atletico Neil are afraid because if they take Simone away, they're going to have to change probably their whole style of football. They, they won't get anyone better at doing what they've done. You know, Simone was the best at what they've done. So they have to change everything. Would they be afraid that they might lose touch on the likes of Barcelona, Madrid and a few of the others, Champions League spots and all? And is this kind of a, a, a catch-22? Isn't this always the problem, though, Roy? When you change a manager that that's that's that iconic, who do you bring in then that can bring? You know, there's only a couple of managers in the world I think that can make that you know financial third or fourth place team the number one team. Klopp did it at Liverpool with lesser of a budget compared to others. Simeone did it in um, in Spain. So who? Where do you go after him? You know, and as you say. If you move Simeone out, he's very, very rare in the way he plays, the way he sets up, you know, what he's gotten out of them. It's a very, very difficult task to bring in another guy if you're going to go in a different direction that has difficult tactical news to get them into that situation. So you'd be very, very careful in getting rid of a guy like Simeone, getting rid of a guy like Klopp, getting rid of, you know, who's the next guy that can come in and carry that club? And as user after mentioning there, it just feels like the project as itself, as a whole, has kind of wilted over the years now. The rehashing, the degreesman thing, bringing them in, bringing them out, selling them, bringing them back. It just doesn't feel they're moving on to the next kind of generation that's yeah. going to carry them forward. And likewise with the manager. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, we'll definitely see over the course of this year. I can't see him moving on, not till the end of the year anyhow. And that's a big decision to probably see what way they finish out in the league. Um, but again, if if he does the job of scraping them into the top four and getting Champions League football again, very well might be there again this time next year. They need huge surgery, in my opinion, now to, if they want to start turning things around again. Okay, Dave, uh, we'll go with Rangers because, yes, they were confirmed. Everyone seems to be delighted about Rangers being confirmed as the, the worst team in Champions League history. Uh, even... You know, the foreign newspapers and websites and stuff seem to, it's it's seemingly a great stat to have. What is the problem with Rangers? Is it the fact that they just, they, they got rid of a couple of players that they couldn't afford to get rid of after the UEFA campaign, the Europa League campaign? Um, what's the ultimate problem? with it? They're just not good enough, you know. And to be honest, uh, the other side of Glasgow can't be overly smug either. They got a couple of draws and they've been fairly spanked in most of the games as well. Um, and they're in a bloody tough group, let's be honest. This Napoli side were flying. So are Liverpool technically in in, in Europe. And then Ajax are Ajax. So they were probably going to be on a hiding to nothing. They probably would have expected maybe a point or two, but that'd be about it. But if you just look at the Liverpool games alone, maybe the Battle of Britain, you were expecting a bit more and you're expecting a bit more fight and they just never laid a glove on them. Um, they kind of half 
uh, looked threatening in 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 the in the second fixture in Ibrox, and then just Liverpool blew them over. They're just not strong. You can kind of pick the bones of the team, but let's be honest, Scotland. The gap with Scotland and 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 main the main hitters in Europe has just got bigger and bigger. And you only have to look at kind of the players that they're trying to go after. It's kind of championship level. Let's be honest, at best, and it, what do you expect in Europe if that's the case? You know, okay, well, people let, like let, Scott Airfield and who else? It's not. Let's strong. look at let's look at Belgium. Club Bruges uh, finished behind Porto, eleven points ahead of Atletico Madrid and Bayern Leverkusen. There can't be that much of a difference between the the Belgium league and the Scottish league, can there? Without a shadow of a doubt, you know, because the British the British media are morons when it comes to European football. They haven't a clue. Like, there's plenty of good leagues out there, and they are ignorant to pretty much. 75, 80, 85% of them. They are morons. Any team they come up with who are not from Spain, France or Germany or Italy, they're rubbish. And then when they get beaten, they scratch their heads going, what's going on here? You know, and then half of them would be littered with international players. But because they're not the pretty boy countries, they're rubbish and they're useless. Like, I know it's only Mignolet, but if you look at it, there's three or four half-decent players at Club Bruges. And like Belgian football is Belgian football and they're still solid. And to look, you're down and you're not. I mean, you, you compare, say, just internationally, Belgium and Scotland, they're light years apart. So why wouldn't their league be a little bit different as well? Because the best of the rest will still be better because not the, the, the top Scottish internationals are not really in Scotland either. And they wouldn't be the same with Belgium, but their best of the rest probably will be the best of Scotland's. And it's just highly ignorant. And I love watching it. And I love it when I see... Um, the British teams coming up against, as I said, the non three or four big countries, and they get they get shown up and they scratch their head and they go, I, I don't get this. What who, who are these? And what's Storm Gratz from from uh, from Austria and all these other? Th- oh, they're rubbish, but they're not. They're far from it. They're highly uh, efficient. Like what you have to remember is, especially in Europe, it's the one sport. So pretty much the whole country are playing it. Like we're here in Ireland, we struggle because we're up against rugby and we're up against GAA and everything else. If we were just purely football-based, we'd be even better than what we are, even though we like to think we're punching above our weight. Um, and in, in most of these countries in Europe, it's the one and only sport massively. And uh, so, some of these leagues and some of these countries are a hell of a lot better. And I just love it when I see them outperforming and they're scratching their head wondering why are these doing better than us? We're Scotland, but... Last time I checked, Scotland don't really qualify for championships and their clubs have, like punch above their weight once in a blue moon. But deep down, this is the Champions League and it's a massive difference. Yeah, when you look at... And, and listen, I, I, I agree and I don't agree with you in the same breath because there are obviously good teams in that Belgium league. Mm. There, there would be teams who wouldn't be uh, as good and probably would be on par with what's up in Scotland. But I think there is a stronger top to the to the Belgium league than there is in the Scottish Absolutely. league. And Neil, when you look at the Scottish league and again, with Celtic, I think they competed in a couple of games. They they play better football. They they're a better side than Rangers anyhow. Um but again, there's that gap when you look at the the Scottish teams qualifying for Europe and getting knocked out by League of Ireland sides from Ireland. That probably says a lot about uh, it. Says a little bit about the League of Ireland that it's 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 starting to step up the level, but it also shows you that there's not much of a level difference between Ireland and Scotland, and and, and Irish teams do struggle. Yeah, I mean, look, on, on the other hand, Ryan also say I think sometimes when Celtic and Rangers uh, do make the Champions League proper, they're sometimes punching above their weight because they could be one kind of dodgy draw 
in the in the playoffs to get into the Champions League away from being knocked out. And it has happened over the last few years where they haven't qualified for the, the, the group stage proper, you know. So on one hand, they do well to kind of get there. But then this kind of air of expectation kind of takes over and you're thinking to yourself, geez, how can they do? But this isn't, you know, I, I won't even talk about Rangers, but Celtic of yesteryear, you know, when they used to go to the new Camp and get a result and they were a tough, tough team to be. They were strict. They, they had a lot more quality in the team. They just don't have it at the moment. And that's, you know, plainly obvious. So they are punching above their weight at times. I think this one, a little bit of perspective. They tried to make it into a battle of Britain, but it never really materialised against Liverpool. They were taught a very, very harsh lesson against Napoli. Um, and Ajax played them off the park. So, I mean, for Rangers' perspective, they just ran into, you know, you can call it a group of death, but a group of quality. And they were badly, badly lacking. Well, it was Victoria Pilsen who were delighted to see Rangers concede their their final goal because they uh, they lost every game and had a minus 19 goal difference where it was <laughs> minus 20 Rangers. So uh, a, a deep breath of relief there for them. Dave, when you look at the likes of Messi and Ronaldo playing in Europe, they all Messi and Ronaldo thing always pops its head up. <laughs> It's a bit unfair to be comparing them now these days, isn't it? Yeah. Because oh, they're at sure. different they're at different stages. Uh, Messi still has, uh, you know, the last of his his peak powers there, while Ronaldo is starting to fade, and you can see that by the amount of chances it, it takes him to try, to score a goal. Yeah, but and also Messi has a bit more inspiration when he's got the likes of the next in line and Kylian Mbappe there and even Neymar, and they're clicking a little bit this year. Like, yes, they're still a bit disjointed, but. They're all in double figures in goals. Neymar and Messi are in double figures in terms of assists. Two weeks previous, uh, the, the the stack came up. They're all on 13, 14 goals each. And Neymar and Messi had about 11 or 12 assists each. Uh, Mbappe had one. So that said a lot, you know. But now he's got a couple in the last week or two. But I'm not saying they've got their act together, but they're performing numbers-wise anyway, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, so he's a bit more inspiration. So as regards to the debate with the other two, as you've said, he's near the end of his, um, like he's only two years behind him, but at the same time, he's a little bit fresher. And then he's obviously with a much better team uh, than when maybe not as as big as, as it was, but a much better side and a lot more quality around him. And with them other two, you can't help but still enjoy your football and you're going to get your chances and you're going to get your goals. But yeah, in terms of the great, and of course, two different competitions altogether. Um, so I think that's, like I said last week, and I think that's the whole reason why Ronaldo is still trying to stick it around in Europe because once he retires and if Messi does play the, the year or two to catch up, all his records are gone. You know, it's as simple as that because he's right behind him in every single one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Neil, Messi's still still a force. He, he has settled at PSG, hasn't he? Yeah, it's amazing the year difference, isn't it? I mean, you know, all the headlines this time last year were Messi not settling, Messi hasn't scored, he's not training, he's homesick, you know. They were waxing lyrical of all the negative side of things, I guess, with the messy move. And a lot of that maybe came from leaving Barcelona, the kind of financial situation that he caused and then he left them with. Um, so maybe there was a lot of baggage there to get rid of. But they seem to be rejuvenated this year, as Dave is saying. If you look at the narratives coming out of Paris Saint-Germain every weekend, it's the three lads in the dressing room posing and you know showing off this the, the 12 packs and you know their four or five goals every game and you know it just seems to be a little bit more harmonious than it was and mm. Messi seems to be just embracing it a little bit more and 
you know, there's a little bit more love being shared around. And if anything, actually, Mbappe is kind of the pantomime villain now, all of a sudden that he's decided, I don't want to play up front anymore. I want to play through the middle. So maybe that type of thing helps Messi go a little bit less noticed. But you can definitely see he has a little bit more in the tank. You know, my young lad shows me all the, the, the three, four second reels where he's scoring free kicks and overheads and stuff like that. So that tells you things are still going well for him. It also tells you in a really, really top quality side, he's still an important cog. Now, how important as the Champions League progresses, we'll see. But uh, they seem to be getting their tactics right to accommodate him in the team. And the team seems a bit more harmonious. So, yeah, he, he's definitely, um, you know, Utah's on his side and it'll be interesting where he ends up at the end of the year. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the results because we came up during the games and I was watching Paris Saint-Germain against Juventus and, and Paris Saint-Germain have won 2-1. Um, again, Juventus have fallen apart completely. Yeah. It's, it's it's amazing how far they've fallen as well. Um, but this Paris Saint-Germain side do start to look like they are... And worryingly for everyone else, they're turning into a little bit of a team here and, and yeah. it'll be interesting to see how, because the Champions League isn't until February again, uh, there's a lot of room for improvement there for them. So yeah, very, very interesting. Now we're going to go on to uh, Darwin Nunes, Neil, because <laughs> I'm going to phrase it the way you said, you wanted a discussion on him. Is Darwin Nunes shit or is he all playing us for fools? <laughs> so, you know, what what is it now? Right, you know what it is? It's when you buy a player and you spend money on a player, right? And, I, you know, you're talking to guys in the last year or so that went for big money. You've got Grealish, you've got Sancho, you've got Haaland, you've got Nunes, right? So Liverpool obviously splurged on Nunes in a way that we're not really used to seeing Liverpool do it. But I think they probably thought if we don't act now, we either miss him or, you know, we're going to miss a cog in the machine, et cetera, et cetera. So they buy this guy. They spend humongous money on him. He's unproven. He's young. His record at Benfica was good. And I did a little article on him and Haaland in the comparison. You know, he's young. He's a goal scorer. But by no means is he anywhere near the finished article. There's a lot more development in him to go. Whereas Haaland just feels he's been on the scene for three or four years. You think you know Haaland a little bit better. But you watch him. First few games came. Preseason came. And I, uh, Dave may or may not reciprocate what I'm saying, but sometimes you watch him on the ball and you think, has this guy ever played football before? <laughs> and then you watch him again and he's volume one, you know, into the top corner. And he's just, it's such a contrast of emotions when you watch him because he missed a sitter and then he scores a header or he headbutts some guy, but then he, you know, he, he's traveling at 36.3 miles per hour and fastest player in the Premier League. Um, I was at Anfield the other week and the West Ham supporters were saying, are you Andy Carroll in disguise? So, like, there's this narrative that surrounds him. And, yeah, you can't put your finger, I can't say hand on heart, whether I think he's going to make a player or not. But maybe, and this is why I said I'll bring it up this week rather than three weeks ago because the jury was out. I think maybe all of a sudden he just looks a little bit more comfortable. He looks, he's scoring goals. I'm not saying it's clicked, but it's a little bit more promising, I think. But I can't put my finger on it. Dave, you can give us the, the Nunes side of things because I, I've watched them. I wouldn't be that harsh on him. I think it's uh, the Holland factor probably... 
it makes it a little bit unfair on him in his in his first season. So he, everyone's looking at him, and why isn't Nunes as good as him? He is. He's raw, but he he definitely has potential. Yeah, like Nunes is very like Liverpool at the moment. Like uh, as I call him at the mid, uh, like Forrest Gump, like. Liverpool or you can put in Darwin Nunes or like a box of chocolates. You just never know what you're going to get with them at the minute, whether it's a good performance or not. And Nunes is no different. Obviously, with the fee that came in, you're kind of expecting more and you're expecting a more polished player. The Haaland pressure as well, because people will probably scoff at this. They're technically kind of similar in that they're kind of power forwards. But obviously, you can see Haaland is further down the development line than what Nunes is. To be honest, I was at the Emirates and he was the only, apart from Firmino, he was the only one that stuck out. He looked a bit, a bit impressive the way he was able to get in the mix with Saliba and, and Gabriel, who are in great form at the moment, bullied him a little bit. Obviously, got his goal. But then when he has, do you know what I mean? There's a bit of Rashford about him as well. When he has too much time, he ends up imploding and doing nothing. The, the famous pass where he should have put it across to Salah. And then the other night, he had a bit too much time and then tried to bring it back onto his right foot and fluffed his lines. Um, but then with a bit of, with just a half a second, he hits a lovely little side foot uh, pass goal uh, against Rangers. So, Is that it yeah. though, Dave? Is, is, yeah. that, is that the sign? I've seen that in strikers before, not mm. even strikers, but just players. Goalkeepers especially. Yeah. Sometimes if they have too much time to think, it, it it stumbles them all together. They need to be doing exactly. sort of reflex saves and uh, balls on top of them, quick finishes sort of thing. Yeah, like, and he could be definitely at that level very much. I'll be the final piece or the final bit at the end, but don't make me do stuff where I have to use the brain. He, he could be a very instinct. I know it's terrible, but he could be a very instinctive forward. Like, yes, put in cross, I will get ahead to ball and score. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Pele, I do this, 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 go. You know, don't make me think, but I, I can do it as good as anyone, but just don't give me um, too much uh, responsibility or, 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 or roles to do on the pitch. But uh, yeah, like I think it's all perking up a little bit and the boy Neil's bringing it up as well because you get a lot of the stats and the comparisons and I think his goals per game ratio is better than Jesus, but Jesus is obviously getting better airtime compared to Nunes. Like people are slagging off Nunes, but his, his goals per game ratio is better than him. And he's I think he's got one more than him, I think, in the league, but not in the league, but overall. Um, so th- I think that's where it's perking up and that's why it's the great debate now. Is he a bit of a bluffer or is he that, is he just one of these whirlwinds, but somehow still picks up the goal every other game? It's it's fun, but it's very frustrating when you're chasing a game and he has that moment where he's too much time. But uh, if you take your kind of allegiances, he, he's definitely a fun one to watch because it's it's very much watch this space. But one minute I think, yeah, he's cracked it. Next minute, no, actually, no, he's crap. I, I just can't. I, I'm, I'm a, I can't. I have to jump on the fence for this one. Yeah, I think I remember that kind of thing with Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United where he'd frustrate the hell out of you and then do something absolutely brilliant. Uh, we know how that ended up, so you can only hope and pray that he, he's, he's half that player. And But I, I see loads of... I see so much potential in him. I, I can't, and the, the, the price tag is just... They had to do that to secure him. So um, I'd be definitely looking at your second I'll, season. I'll go and back thinking, on what I said, Roy. I'll go back on what I said, like... And I remember asking you guys after the Liverpool Benfica game, like, but I, I hadn't got Liverpool in mind. But as soon as I seen him that night, I was like, yeah, he's a Premier League player. 
because mm. he was just big he was mostly he looked like he'd yeah. get in the mix and straight away i went yeah he's going to he's got he has to go to the premier league so i think this is his best chance because if just briefly mention him what neil said about numbers he only had one really good numbers year and it was the very last one at benfica they were very yeah. fives and sixes nothing too special so whatever's happening is, is is clicking and 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 it could be the start of it but uh I think the, this league will suit them, and whether it's at Liverpool or not is a different story. But we'll wait and see. But it should be fun. There's a, the fan the fan pages are kind of and Dave, you, you will see a lot of Liverpool FC fan pages. They're beginning to kind of call him chaos. This is the new <laughs> word for him. So he's great to watch. One minute he's headbutting a guy, the next minute he's smashing the ball in the net. The next minute he's kicking the ball into Rosie. He's chaos, but he does bring an electricity. And when you're in the stadium and he comes on. You can really feel it when he's on the ball. You're almost yeah. going, is he going to fall over the ball or is he going to take the guy on? And it's, it is that kind of intriguing thing where you will him to do well, but you're just not quite sure. But definitely in the last week or two, I think it's softened that little bit because he's got goals and goals just shut everybody up at the end of the day. Yeah, apparently Salah has been giving him little hints and tips and I think he said something in an interview as well he's helping him relax because one of the things we said at the start of the season it's like he's trying too hard he's a bit too hyper and I think he's just trying to just round the round the corners a little bit like kind of take the edges off a little bit of him so we wait and see yeah absolutely well uh in a little bit, we'll be talking about who might be his manager next year. Uh, <laughs> but before we go on to that part, um, Newcastle and Arsenal, Neil, top four contenders, are they title challengers? Because their form has been steady. And if if, if you look at any club, Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, Spurs, they'd all love the form that these two teams are in. Yeah, they'd also love the points total that these two have. It's uh, Arsenal, the one for me, Roy, definitely. You know, this thing about them, are they title challengers? I think you kind of have to say now they're in a title race because they've lasted, they've beaten some good teams, but they've been really convincing in the last few wins that they've gotten. Um, since losing to Man United, I think they've been really, really impressive. So I think you have to look at Arsenal in a different vein this year. There's a kind of an excitement around them, you know, we were talking there about um, midfielder scoring goals and there's like Granit Xhaka who literally was, you know, it burned his bridges at Arsenal and the guy is just absolutely on fire. So that tells you something really, really good is happening at that club to turn a guy around like that. So everything is going on the up for Arsenal. Now, the only other thing is that, and I think we're all in the same vein where you look at Manchester City and you think they can't beat Manchester City. You know, Liverpool ran Manchester City up to 96 points, couldn't beat them. Can Arsenal do it? That's my only kind of thing at the back of my mind that I just won't allow myself to say they're going to win the Premier League because I definitely don't think they will. But will they challenge? I think at this stage, I'm beginning to accept they're going to be the nearest, if not one of the nearer to them. And, you know, fair play to them for that because this time last year, I wouldn't have been even mentioning Arsenal in a breadth of uh, maybe top four league challenge. Never. You would have think another year. So from that regard, I think so. Um Neil, it's normally not the likes of Arsenal who who trouble Man City. It's normally the likes of, I don't know, a Southampton or a Fulham or something mm. like that who normally take the, those unexpected points off them. 
Yeah, and that's it. But I mean, that's the crux of trying to go and win in a title. You have to be, you know, the ugly games in September, October, where, you know, the rain is going, wind is going, versus the glamour games on the Super Sunday, where, you know, everyone is up for it and all the cameras are watching all around the world. So, Ars are going to have to learn to win ugly as well as win really, really well. But at the moment, they're winning really, really comfortably and they just look like a great unit. But the asset test will come, obviously, when. You know, maybe as we were saying last week, when the World Cup comes and that little bit of momentum stops or when they lose one or draw one and lose one and then you're looking for that reaction. Um, I always personally thought in order to kind of compete for the league as in proper where you're flat out and you really believe you can win it, you have to have that season where you become an also ran or near enough and you kind of come back the year after and you learn that lesson of how to control the big games and you kick on. So... Arsenal seem to be kind of leapfrogging that step at the moment. It's just interesting whether they get caught up in it or whether they can just keep going with the good form that they're in. But they've got the players and they seem to at the moment have the manager belief, the club is in belief. So, yeah, I, I think they've got something very special at this at this point in time. They definitely do. Dave, does a top four spot for Newcastle make them jump a few steps rather than if they finished Massive. 6th or 7th for next yeah, no. year I mean. for me realistic expectations not necessarily Geordie expectations but realistic expectations would have been top half of the table this year considering last year like obviously they were in great momentum for the second half of the year but they were kind of playing without fear once they kind of got the relegation thing out of the way quite quick they were able to just let loose and play and find their feet and got in great so it was like I was kind of writing it off going, nah, yeah, whatever. It's just like there was no real pressure on them. But in fairness to them and credit to them, they brought that form into this side of the, uh, uh, this side of the, the season. Um, but it's definitely leapfrogging because I would have said the European spot would have been the ultimate for them this year. But little, uh, but a Champions League spot, absolutely. And it's huge. Um, and they're definitely a contender without a shadow of a doubt. As we said last week, that spine down the middle is very solid now from keeper to centre half to midfield and up front. And then you've got they have the best defence in the league. They've only lost once. Yes, they've had a few draws, but uh, really kind of have a bit of a steal in them as well as if they get, uh, like the magic, it providing stays fit of the likes of Sam Maxman and obviously Gamaric is there and the renaissance of Joe Linton where even Didi Hamann has suggested that's who Liverpool should be getting for their midfield over, say, Declan Rice or whoever else. So we leave that for another day. But when I read it today, I went, fair deals. That's another opinion to be a bit different, I think. But um for for both teams, without a doubt, I would say, yeah, definitely Arsenal are title contenders, but uh, without a shadow of a doubt, um, Newcastle are definitely in the top four uh, contention at this stage. So there's now a, a potential to say a big seven if Liverpool got their finger out and got back into the mix. Um, at the moment, obviously, uh, Newcastle have taken their spot, but if Liverpool get their finger out, all of a sudden it's a, a seven-horse race, which, which which can only be a good thing. Yeah, and I just think that if they get that Champions League spot, all of a sudden Massive. they're they're looking at a couple of big name players. Not big name, oh, but yeah. just yeah. quality players that they'll be able exactly. to entice in. Yeah, because so. financially there's a lure for them regardless, but it just goes up and look. Because like, you, you, we all know, we've seen this before. There's a blueprint there with Man City and there was a certain type of player for two to three seasons. But once they started to consistently get into the Champions League, then they're kind of the cream of the crop all of a sudden are interested because you're going to get paid well but then you're going to compete at the top level 
Absolutely, yeah. So it's uh, it's fascinating, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what way the season finishes off. Um, I think I'd be actually disappointed if if it was Man United, Chelsea. No, I actually, wouldn't because Man United haven't been there. But, uh, if it was Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, office. and Spurs again, I think I'd be very disappointed Ooh. if it turned out that way. I, I kind of you like to see the, yeah. the feathers ruffled up a bit. Do something horrendous to yeah. not be in it now. Like even like even like Newcastle are currently fourth. But they're already seven points ahead of them. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, so there's a bit of a gap there, and they're accruing a lot of points. They'd want to do something pretty epic. But just to, I just want to double down on what Neil said. This could be that year where they get their, they have a good year, and but they they just come short. But at the same time, they kind of go actually the jump to the top level is not as big as we think. And then the second season, you know, that kind of second season syndrome when somebody eventually wins the league, this could be it for them this year. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Okay, we're going to finish off with a little question Neil wanted to put out there. And it was, if Jurgen Klopp was sacked (laughs) and Eric Ten Hag was sacked, who would you replace them with? Now, I can understand, Neil, uh, the Jurgen Klopp part because he's uh, there's a bit of pressure on him. is it just a threat of Manchester United now under Eric Ten Hag and it's a a hopeful sacking that you're looking forward to? No, I tell you, this came from something very simple. I was watching the um, the game, the Forest game. Well, I caught the end of the Forest game. I didn't catch the, the whole lot of it. And, uh, you know, one of my WhatsApp groups was a lightweight. Ah, oh, clap out. That's it. Seven years. He's doomed. You know, bloody blah, blah. And I kind of put in, look, lads, be careful what you wish for. I mean, where do you go after clap? And the only, I'm not saying Ten Hag is in trouble or anything like it, but Man United have been since Alex Ferguson through quite a number of managers and it hasn't worked out for whatever reason, they had a lot of resources, but it hasn't worked out, didn't get the right man, structured the club, yada, yada, yada. But for me, personally, Jurgen Klopp is like, he's almost a once-in-a-generation manager. He's almost a once-in-a-generation type of manager that can bring a club to a different level despite resources and get them all pulling in the right direction. And I'm kind of saying to myself, who would you bring in then if you sack Klopp? And I was like, okay, well, let's have a look who the top managers are around. But it's the way they play, the way you want your club to play, the way you identify with the manager, tactical, you know, getting the whole club all behind the team. It's not just, a, you know, a front of the club. He's everything. And I, I, I find it very, very difficult to say this is the next guy in. Because, you know, two years ago, it was Gerard, or their blood and Gerard to come in. So now he's on his high horse. Isn't it? Not in a million years, he getting near the job. So who's the next guy? But likewise, it could be for Ten Hag or anyone else that moves out. I just don't think there's a massive wealth of managers out there capable of taking a club of that size. Yeah, I would look at hopefully Eric Ten Hag staying for a little bit longer mm-hmm. than this season. Um, the way he started, he's, he's kind of impressed me in a, in a few things that he has done and said. He's still working on the team, so you still have to judge him on the team yet. But just the way he's gone about his business has been has been quite interesting and satisfying because of the way uh, some of the managers previously have have dealt with, or even the club have dealt with the managers because uh, I think it's mostly down to the club. Uh, all the the problems and strife at Manchester United. Dave, if Klopp was sacked or Klopp decided, listen, I think actually, I don't know if I'm getting the right back in or I don't think I'm getting, you know, I'm going to get anywhere forward or next year and that might disappoint the fans and he steps away. Who do you look at? 
they just gave him the freedom of the city and all today, Neil. Like, he's ruthless. <laughs> he literally just got... He can start bringing his men and women up the streets of Liverpool now and you, he's out the door. Um, I had a, a quick think of it and then I had a bigger think of it later on because, it's like, there really is a lack of talent, in my opinion, out there. Um, but for me... I've always been a bit of an advocate of like, you know, a bit a bit out there and a bit different every time instead of let's try and maintain what we do and it just gets stale and it just doesn't happen. Um, a bit like I think Moyes was personally, tr- let's try and recreate what it was and I think that was the thinking and the whole lot behind it and I think the whole boot room thing for years, it just wasn't working and it was obvious the boot room at Liverpool was gone and it was dead and somebody needed to call time of death on that, but they dragged the arse out of that for far too long. Um, I was very much, I wanted somebody up and coming when I wanted it to be either Rodgers or Martinez and I was glad it was Rodgers. So for this one, I would take, I would say something similar. Somebody a bit potentially, not up and coming, but just a bit out there that if it works, it's genius. If it doesn't, now nah, well, we can move on similar likes for likes at the moment because of what they did to us in the first game of the season. And apart from Everton, I think he did a good job as Marco Silva. I liked what he did with Hull. I thought he did a decent job and what he's doing with Fulham and the hassling and the harrying and the pressing that they do is a bit similar. Um, but would he have the same command and presence? No one would when you compare them to, uh, when you compare them to Jorgen Kloppy, as, as Neil said, he is one of those types. When he talks, you listen, he's a real, he has that magnetism. And I suppose it'll be a hard at this stage because of where he's gone to, but probably Graham Potter. I've always liked him and I like where he's come from. And I think the Scousers would like that kind of salt of the earth, kind of he done it the hard way. And But the fact that he's already gone to Chelsea, I think it'd be quite difficult. If he was still at Brighton, I'd be like, yeah, I'd, get, I'd like him to get a roll of the dice. And I think, as I said, Liverpool and Scousers would swallow that up and think, mm. yeah, this, this guy is kind of one of us kind of thing and he gets it but um that might be a little bit different but the, the Microsoft was a blatant out there because of just to be a bit different than the way they're playing at the moment is a bit similar but yeah ultimately it probably would have been great part for me okay neil what about those two that dave has talked about and i'll throw one in what about Ange Postacoglu as well yeah that's an intro. That's a that's a jump. But uh, Potter would have been one, and I think I let go Dave. If it wasn't just the fact that he literally got in the Chelsea door, he would mm. have been the ideal candidate of a guy that's proven track record, really, really had his imprint on the way that team plays. Went got some good, good results. Played lovely football, but just are maybe lacking that one or two stars at Brighton to turn them into a bigger, better team. You'd love to see what he does, and you will like to see what he does with Chelsea with all the stars that are in that dressing room. So, yeah, 100% on that one. Postacoglu is an interesting one, just the fact that, you know, we've done a couple of pieces on him before. Um, it's a real underdog story almost to see where he came from. Like, he was nearly ruined over in Australia for anyone that forgot the, the kind of backstory um, for managing an underage team, regardless of anything else. Um, but to see him come through, I think there's another position in him after Celtic before he would be looked upon um, for like a Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, that type of position. I think he's another stepping stone to go. Um, but I, I do quite like the way he plays football and the positivity in him. I even like his interviews. He's, he's kind of fairly frank. Um, the only other option I had then was uh, Nagelsmann off uh, Bayern, that type of guy that, you know, the way he plays football, he attacks wings. He's used to dealing with big players, and he's done that Leipzig stepping stone to get him into that position. Um, although, I guess <clears throat> he's a little bit more tried and trusted rather than looking for someone or the next up and coming. But 
you know, I like that type of character of a guy because he was handpicked by Bayern, obviously, a couple of years prior. So they knew exactly what they were getting with him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as for the oh, Eric Ten, can I throw can I throw out a, a, a dark horse which you'd never think of, but I'm going to say it. Yeah, I do. James Milner after he retires in the summer. <laughs> yeah. First manager's job, throw him right into the deep end. I'd say he'd be just ice cool on the sideline. Be well, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Zidane just jumped into the deep end and he, he didn't do too bad. Now, he was with the best club in the world and everyone probably listened to him because he's in, in Zidane, you know. And, 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 and James Milner, I'm not sure, will have that effect. Um, but... I'm not saying that he wouldn't make a good manager, but I think he's way. I think I don't think Ange has to worry about him jumping the queue there uh, on, on that if one. If you were I, if you were looking for an interim manager, Milner would be the ideal one. And then by Christmas, you give him the four-year contract, and then it all goes pear-shaped and it's gone. Yeah. It, it sounds a bit like Ali's got the wheel. You yeah, know? So I don't know yeah. if I, I got down that uh, down that route. As for Ten Hag, I uh, he's only in the door. Leave him alone. He's staying there for a while. So we won't even entertain that. Talk. Looked hard enough and long enough for someone that you actually kind of half like so uh yeah he's, he's but i not think i suppose that. i suppose where neil's probably coming from and he, he can kind of answer himself but i think it the fact that they've tried all the different styles since ferguson's gone and this guy could be the real answer to try and build something and if it doesn't work for him jesus where do you go you know, well, I think right. if, if Liverpool keep the club pure, as in for football reasons and not commercial reasons, then uh, whatever manager bring in will have an opportunity and a chance. Yeah. I'm not so sure that the t- managers who came into Manchester United after Ferguson yeah. had a real proper chance and go at it because a lot of these players who were brought in were commercialised, you know, uh, purchases and, and panic ones as well uh, at the same time. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Ten Hag might be getting the, 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 the best out of, of, of all of those. OK, we're going to leave it there. Neil, thanks very much. Dave, thanks very much as always. And uh, for everyone out there, thanks very much for listening. Uh, don't forget to listen to... Uh, the Big Kickoff League of Ireland as well if you are and uh, the Big Kickoff Football Show will be back next week see you then